Welcome to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. For those of you listening, this podcast is brought to you by the ABA section of Dispute Resolution to increase the avenues where we can connect. Our hosts serve as interlocutors, engaging in conversations with members of the dispute resolution community about topics of interest in the field. My name is Caroline Stauffer, and I'm one of your hosts. Today, I am speaking with Kevin Scudder in a two-part series about the practice of collaborative law. In this second episode, Kevin gives listeners a deeper look into collaborative law and how it contrasts with other dispute resolution practices. Next Level Mediation Software is a mediator's best tool for advancing their online dispute resolution practice. It takes into account the psychological attitudes of the disputing parties and helps mediators find the key priorities to negotiate. Based on decision science and an easy-to-use interface, the Next Level Mediation Platform can handle the most complex disputes. Register today at nextlevelmediation.com for your complimentary 30-day trial of the subscription service and enter the code ABA discount 20 for a 20% discount. Welcome to Resolutions, Kevin. Thank you for coming again to talk to us about collaborative law. In the first episode, you shared with listeners an overview of the practice and some of its processes. And so we're really looking forward to diving a little deeper today. Carolyn, thanks for having me. I look forward to our conversation. Just as a refresher, we talked about collaborative process. And collaborative process is a dispute resolution process with two attorneys, two parties, Uh, Each party is represented by their own attorney. They sign a participation agreement, which is a contract that modifies the rules of professional conduct for the attorneys. Uh, And it also commits the parties to a course of conduct, such as good faith, full disclosure, um, you know, good faith negotiation. And the other essential part of the collaborative process is the disqualification provision that disqualifies the attorneys from representing either party outside the process if they don't reach a resolution. Okay, so the attorneys are just committing to no contested hearings, no trials. Hmm. Now, as we talked about coming into this podcast today, I think we thought it would be interesting to talk about collaborative law, you know, as a dispute resolution process with mediation and arbitration and kind of comparing those different processes. Exactly, yes. And so, as we know, there are some things that are vastly different than arbitration and mediation. As we know, the attorneys are able to go from from mediation to arbitration and vice versa. Um, with the client being able to stay with their attorneys. And here, as you pointed out, that's just not the case with collaborative law. So if you could share with us, what are these contrasting qualities? Great question, Carolyn. And, you know, I think the starting point that I, I want to repeat, and I know we talked about this before, 
is that these are all dispute resolution processes. Okay, uh, the legal community is finally getting rid of the concept of alternatives, you know, of saying there's only one way for to resolve conflict. And instead, there's a realization that there's a, a spectrum of dispute resolution processes that parties in conflict can use to get through um, the conflict that they find themselves in. Okay, we're not talking about litigation. I gave you some of my history of being, you know, a litigator for 21 years of my my legal professional life. Mm -hmm. I don't do that anymore. But people are certainly free to choose litigation. Now, litigation and arbitration have one thing in common: that the parties are delegating their decision-making authority to a third party. Okay. Yeah. That's just the the bottom line of those two processes. Now, collaborative collaborative process, um, we will have to terminate a case if the parties choose to delegate their decision making authority to a third party. Okay, so you talked, you made a comment about mediation, of how sometimes people are in mediation, and then they maybe complete 50% of the things that issues that need to be resolved, but then they choose to go to arbitration to have the mediator become an arbitrator, change hats all of a sudden, mm -hmm. and become the decision maker. So that's not something that we do in collaborative process. So it's kind of like, how do we distinguish those three dispute resolution processes? You know, as a collaborative practitioner, I look at it as the voice of the clients and how much are the clients involved in the process okay so let's talk about arbitration and what is the role of the attorney the role of the attorney is to help the client present their case or present the client's case for them mm -hmm. you know they you know how do they prep the client they prep the client to give testimony and to get evidence before the arbitrator. It is, however, the attorney who gives the argument. The opening statement presents the evidence. Part of that evidence is going to be some testimony from the client. In the end, however, it's the arbitrator who makes the decision. So that's pretty clear cut, I think, as a dispute resolution process. Mediation kind of I put mediation between arbitration and collaboration just on the spectrum of client involvement and client empowerment for making decisions. Because, you know, in mediation, clients go into a facilitated conversation about the conflict in which they find themselves. Now, there's all kinds of mediations. You know, there's shuttle mediation, mm -hmm. you know, where the parties and their attorneys are put into different rooms or the parties themselves pro se are put into different rooms and the mediator goes back and forth. I prefer having everyone in the same room because I think it's important for the parties and their lawyers, if lawyers are involved, to hear each other, to see where the conflict is, what the underlying issue really is the, of what's being mediated. Now, I'm a trained mediator. I've done a few 35, 40-hour mediation trainings. I've co-trained mediation trainings. And like I said, I don't. I try not to do shuttle mediation. 
Mm-hmm. And I also don't do 12-hour mediation. Those settlement conference type mediations are more like arbitration. You know, the parties are put in different rooms. The attorneys are saying, you know, compromise. You have to compromise. If someone makes an offer, you're expected to change your offer. You know, and the mediator simply facilitates that conversation. I think that the ideas or thoughts get lost in the shuttle democracy there? I do, very much so. And that's one of my reactions to mediation, is that when I mediate, I have mediated for pro se parties before. Mm -hmm. And here in Washington State, where I practice, we have an ethical obligation to refer the parties to outside counsel, because obviously we can't give legal advice or information to the parties. And then they go to different attorneys and the attorneys will blow up the process. They'll say, hey, I can, you know, give me a few grand. I can negotiate a better deal for you. When the attorneys don't know what happened in that mediation container. So Mm -hmm. one thing that, that we do out here in Seattle, Washington, is we do a collaborative mediation. Whereas a mediator, if I'm finding the clients need more legal support, we will bring in the attorneys, have them get a collaboratively trained attorneys, hopefully, and we'll sign a collaborative law uh, participation agreement for the mediation, where the attorneys and the clients agree that the attorneys are there really for the sole purpose of providing legal guidance, support, and if the mediation doesn't result in the resolution of their conflict. The attorneys are disqualified from then representing the parties outside the mediation process in a contested trial. This raises the level of trust for the clients because I'm I'm gonna do a heterosexual couple here. You know, husband knows that wife's attorney isn't using the process to get information about them to use outside the process. A wife knows husband's attorney is not using the process to get information to use outside the process, right? So it's we're working towards this team approach to conflict resolution, which leads us to the collaborative process. Which makes a huge difference because that's that is a real risk and a real fear for parties in in mediation is knowing that the attorneys know the information, which is why I believe you know, share with us that most of the time in mediation, clients want the attorneys to speak for them so that there are no hopefully mistakes. Have you found that because parties do have the attorneys uh, speak for them, the process ends up becoming longer than as if it were in collaborative mediation? I do. And I think you've just put your thumb on or highlighted what we're going to talk about, which is client empowerment and helping the client create those skills that are going to be necessary for their post-conflict life. Because I think in mediation, the attorneys are telling the clients what is good for them and that based on the law, this would be a good result. Um, And that this is what they should do, even though internally the clients are feeling something different. Okay, and that their their voices in mediation are are getting squelched. They're not being heard. 
And, you know, we're not the, the resolution that is being enforced on them is not being entered into necessarily voluntarily. And I, I think that's one of the challenges of mediation. Now, when we talk about the collaborative process, you know, we talk about clients having a voice, clients having self-empowerment, clients having self-actualization, because I'm not sure if we talked about this last time we talked, but, you know, it for some people, it may not be about the law. I don't care what the law says about parenting or child support or neighbor relationships or whatever. You know, I just want what's fair. So when you talk about what's fair, there's the four areas that we talked about that people walk in the world with. There's rights-based, whatever the law says, I'm going to go with. Mm -hmm. There's faith-based, whatever my higher power, you know, or God or the Quran or Torah says, that's what I'm going to go with. There's needs-based, I need more. It's okay for me to get more or the other person needs more. If that's okay, they get more. Or there's equity which is basically, I'll know it when I see it. Okay. Interesting. So, so if you open up and normalize the way we all walk in the world and what we think of fairness, and you take away the influence of the attorney saying, no, you've got to stay with what the law is. You're just opening up this world of potential and possibilities. Okay. So it's like in the collaborative process, we talked about, you know, one of the big things about the collaborative process is we allow clients to change their minds. Okay. So in mediation, if you're a mediator. And that's or, nice. It's nice it, to be it, able I to have so. that freedom an, and that, as, you know, free will. So as a lawyer, however, is it nice? You know, think about what I learned in law school. Think of what about what I learned as a litigator. I don't want my client to change their mind. It scares me because my job is to get them to a result and a resolution. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden I feel as a lawyer that I'm losing control of my client because they're changing their mind. I get exasperated. I get frustrated, mm -hmm. you know, right in yeah. the, and, and so here I am, you know, trying to encourage people to think broader. And in fact, if we let our clients change their mind and normalize that they can change their mind, that in fact, the resolution that they reach is going to be more durable. Mm -hmm. They're going to pay their bills, you know, to us professionals who are helping them. And they're going to be more satisfied with the legal community. Well, I think this wraps up our episode for number two. We, everyone, just collaborative law anytime you have a dispute. No, but you're right. <laughs> but no, I, I I love how you broke down the the needs of of a person or or maybe their decision making, the rights they have, the faith, the needs, and the equity. I would say some are not addressed in arbitration. I would love to believe that we could find this, find those qualities in mediation. I do think it does happen, but maybe more on a community level. When the stakes are higher, that's where we see the introduction of attorneys and maybe we won't find the equity or maybe we won't find 
the faith or why, you know, the result of a faith in, in the end result. So if you could walk us through what has appeared in, in some of your cases that show these type of decisions? I've got a couple examples that really, for me, were eye-opening as, as a legal practitioner and being scared to allow clients to have a voice. And, you know, because it's against my training necessarily just to keep them on the legal track. Carolyn, and to just help the clients get to resolution. You know, we had one couple, it was the second marriage for them, and they were an older couple. And they came to us and told us they needed to get divorced. They wanted to use the collaborative process for privacy, confidentiality, you know, just to work things outside of the glare of the court system. Mm-hmm. And so we you know, explored with them what it was they were trying to accomplish. And in doing so, they told us their life story and that, you know, it was a blended family. They both had children from prior relationships. They didn't have children together, though they were all one half, one family. And there was a, a car accident where one of the party's sons became a quadriplegic. And, you know, about seven, eight years of their married life were committed to remodeling the house, making a wheelchair pad, supporting the the son until he passed away from his injury. And they realized that the spark of their love had diminished or dimmed or gone away. So the only thing they knew is they needed to divorce. And so in the process, they were identifying what it is they wanted to accomplish. You know, we, we still love each other. I wish this person the best. I wish their children the best. I simply want to, they each wanted to leave the legacy, their legacy to their own child, mm-hmm. as opposed to sharing or leaving it to the other person. And so, you know, we went, we kept going towards divorce because that's what the clients told us. Yes, that, but the, the story, first request, yeah. right? That was the, okay, we can do that. We're lawyers. We can get yeah. you divorced <laughs> as, as the, the chorus of their life, however, started to come up in the process. We realized that actually we could give them something different than the, what they were asking for, which is a rekindling of their love. I mean, I I know this is kind of wild to be talking about this, but this is really what actually happened because the the love was there. It was just dimmed and we got rid of all the, the, the you extra, know, extra and the stuff. noise. Yeah. And in these meetings that we had, they re they rekindled the love they had for each other. Okay. So we basically said, we can give you what you're looking for without you getting divorced. Would you want that option? And there were tears all around the table. They said, we don't have to get divorced. And no, you know, so we, we wrote up a status of property agreement and strong estate planning documents. So that resolution in the collaborative process didn't end up in a divorce. It ended up in a stronger relationship with rules, boundaries, structure. So, you know, for me, it was really a reminder to pay attention 
to what our clients are telling us. Because the words that come out of their mouth may not be exactly what they're asking for. Right. I mean, I think that's a very interesting case because when we think about the voice, it's the voice that you were listening to in in your clients that you just said. But at the same time, they lack the voice to communicate to one another. Right. I would have loved to have sat in that collaborative case. How long did it take for for this particular case to come to resolution it took or to us an a, agreement? Yeah, it took us about three months to hear them clearly. And, you know, again, we're talking about different dispute resolution processes, arbitration, mediation, collaboration. I'm not sure we could have done this in mediation or arbitration, certainly not arbitration. Mm-hmm. Because, in again, in the collaborative process, You've got the two attorneys, but you also have the coach and the financial person because the coach is is handling a lot of the emotional rebuilding between the parties. Mm -hmm. It was really the financial person in this case who kind of tipped the tide Mm -hmm. of, of showing them their financial structure that they didn't have to be scared about it. They were all going to be okay. The kids were going to be okay. And it was like this just relief in, you know, from the clients Mm. of knowing everyone was going to be okay. They could move on to the emotional things or other things that they needed to deal with. So to help visualize this process, do clients meet with the coaches at some point together with their attorney or do they meet with the coach? And, and I'm talking about the professionals, the coach and the financial advisor. Are they all in the same room together every time they meet? So the, the answer is yes, the clients meet with the coach separately and with the financial person separately. Mm. Okay, because we attorneys are the most expensive professional in the room. So we don't need to be in on those conversations. You know, we right. and I think actually you mentioned that in the first episode too. Right. Yes. And, you know, and those relationships are essential because in the collaborative process, we don't know which professional is going to be the key turner for the client. I've had collaborative cases where my client loved my counterpart or liked my counterpart attorney better than they liked me. Or they connected with the coach in a way that they didn't connect with the financial, you know? (laughs) So it's kind of like, it's almost, it's a little counterintuitive, Carolyn, that adding professionals reduces the cost of the legal process. Mm -hmm. But I've seen that a lot in the collaborative process. So Carolyn, we also, you know, we were talking about clients being empowered to change their mind. You know, and the fact that for me as a lawyer, before I started doing collaborative practice and understanding it, I would get oftentimes get frustrated about because it was a moving target for me. Um, you know, I remember one case in particular where this concept of clients being allowed to change their mind, which I highly value at this point of my my career yeah because uh, i've seen it work so much and you know, oftentimes it was a divorce setting and oftentimes the parties just are done living together 
and they need to be under two roofs as opposed to one roof. And so in the dynamic of this couple, the husband just said, I'm leaving during the meeting. I'm going, I'll, I will move out, even though I don't want to. In, in essence, he, was, he felt he was taking care of his spouse because he thought it would be harder for his spouse to move out of the house than him. He wasn't going to make a big emotional deal out of it. He was going to sure. pack a few boxes and go. And we reminded the clients that said, we can revisit this at any time. You can change your mind. Okay. <laughs> and so this client took me up on it, Carolyn. And it was like the first example for me of yeah. a client changing a mind. And, and when my client called me, I felt fear. It was like, oh no, this is going to create conflict. You know, that, that old feeling it's, it was, it, it's built into you. Yeah, it is. It is because it's, and it's like, then I took a deep breath and I said, he's just taking us up on our offer. And you basically need to have just faith in the collaborative process you know, of the team holding this couple and being able to deal with anything that comes up. And so I took my deep breath and I, you know, we talked about why, you know, and he explained, look at, I love that house. I, I work in the yard. I planted that tree in the backyard, you know, when our child was born and I've, we've watched that tree grow up, you know, throughout our marriage. And I'm like, okay, you know, I will, let me talk to the other professionals and we'll put it on the agenda. And so, you know, I, we did a, we do a pre-brief and I said, I just want to let you know, I've been handed a grenade by my client. You know, there's <laughs> a, there's a saying in, in collaborative that your clients hand you a grenade, but you, you're not the one who has to pull the pin. So you know, this is the transparency piece of the process where I can go to the other professionals and I say, I have this information that this is what's going to happen at the meeting. How do we want to handle it? And so we choreographed how we were going to have the conversation and we leaned into it as opposed to hit it and said, we're not going to deal with it. It's going to create conflict. So right. at the meeting, you know, we invited the husband to share why he wanted to move back in the house. And he explained, he said, I love that house, you know, done the yard, I planted the tree, you know, we barbecued together, we would drink wine on the porch, you know, on the deck together. And the, the wife listened really respectfully. And, you know, we had, her, her attorney had asked, you know, we just made clear, just listen. This is just information. You're not required to agree. You're not required to ask any questions. Just listen. And she did a wonderful job. And she looked at him after he was done and said, then why did you move out? I should have been the one to move out because I don't have that same connection. Oh, wow. And And there were tears. And, and then it was agreed that wife would move out, husband would move back in, and we choreographed, you know, the time frame for doing that. And, you know, during the debrief of that meeting with just the professionals, 
-hmm. We all sighed with relief, knowing that the structure of the collaborative process is made for clients to change their mind. Okay. And that that was just a great example of how to handle it. We don't want to blindside anyone with changing their mind, you know, but when it comes up, it can certainly be handled with open arms in the process. And I, I'm not sure if you highlighted this, but I know that uh, in our in our conversations, you talked about mediation with the mediator driving to a resolution. Uh, so with with collaborative practice, there is the mindset that there is adaptability and we know mediation is the free will also the voluntary will of the participants but I think what we're seeing here what we're listening here is that in mediation as we all know we do we want to come to an agreement or a compromise I don't like using that word but some people say compromise and and I would also even highlight if if, if this is okay, Kevin, that really in collaborative practice, you're not even really looking for compromise. It sounds that sounds like the conversation has time to breathe and you are, or as the party is able to have people that are away from the conflict, professionals who can see it in a different way. So then they can digest the, the information clearly. Would you say that's pretty accurate? I think that's a great summary. Okay. You know, in the collaborative, collaborative practice is a process and there are steps that we take. And so our job as collaborative professionals is to get the clients good information on, on which they can make decisions. One thing that stands out in the collaborative process, you know, we're talking about compromise and you know, wanting to get to a resolution is one thing we make clear to both parties in a collaborative process is we know that party A, their best resolution is one where they get as much of what they're trying to achieve while at the same time, party B is also getting as much of what they want and need. And same thing for party B, looking at party A. Mm -hmm. So we don't necessarily focus on compromise. We focus on both parties realizing as much of what they need as possible. Okay. It, it's not a, it's a zero sum game, oh, right? Oh, oh. Okay. All right. That's what I was trying to say. So guess what I'm trying to say is collaborative, we don't look at it as a zero-sum game, that if one person gets more, the other person gets less, or one person wins, one person loses. We actually think both people are more likely to get more of what they need and feel like they um, came out of the process um, in a better place than when they entered into it. And I think you highlight that very well in the two collaborative cases that you shared, you know, married couples who in the first case came in to, or in a request for separation, for divorce and ending up to 
be together, which is, you know, I think for everyone who's listening and maybe even going through a hard time, want, want that in the end. Um, and then in the second case where a house could mean more to one individual than the other, but it was never highlighted or talked about, uh, but the collaborative case allowed that to, to be highlighted and actually reminded me about the mother and the orange when they're her two children, the orange, the orange case. Yep. So is, you know, walking away from this and in, what would you like, what message do you want to put out there for collaborative law for listeners to really understand? Um, and again, and I think I, I asked this question in the first episode, whether you're a client or whether you are going to be a practitioner, what are some things that are important to understand with collaborative law? The main thing, Carolyn, is it kind of goes back to the initial client consult, is when we as lawyers have a client come to us, you know, my approach is to ask the client, where do you see yourself post-conflict? Okay, that my intention in this consultation is to find out where you want to be, where you think you want to be, where you think you're the other person to the conflict wants to be. And then you and I are going to choose a conflict resolution process best suited or most likely to get you where you think you want to be. Okay. And so under, I want listeners to understand that these, all these dispute resolution processes are very powerful. There is not one that's better than the other. It's a question of suitability of the process to the clients. Okay. So my hope, exactly. in, uh, my hope in doing these podcasts with you is to just open up the door to listeners to understand collaborative process, you know, as a dispute resolution process, that when they're meeting with someone across their desk, you know, or on Zoom, that they consider that perhaps the collaborative approach to conflict resolution might be the best one for this client. So I'm hoping that listeners get interested in collaborative practice you know, go out and find trainings in collaborative practice like we do, you know, for mediation, because, you know, we're always looking to hone our skills. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for your time and sharing collaborative law with our listeners and those in the community. We appreciate it. Thank you again for having me, Carolyn. Carolyn.